0: Remember when the Syrians came against Israel. And Elisha and his servant were gathered together. They were surveying the enemy that had come out against Israel. And Elisha's servant Looking at the city that had been surrounded with horses and chariots, the servant said, Master, alas, what shall we do? (laughs) Oh no! Somebody said it fear. Oh no, what are we gonna do? Look at all the people surrounding us. Look at all the horses and all the chariots. The armies have come up against us, the armies of the Syrians have come up against us. We've got a problem. What are we going to do about this? What's going to happen? We've met our doom. We've met our doom. What are we going to do? And Elisha said, Do not fear. Don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's easy to look in the natural at what's against you. Some of you this morning... The enemy has tried to, I, I'm going to preach in a moment, but, but the enemy has tried to silence your voice. He's tried to distract you, tried to misdirect your worship. He's tried to misdirect your worship, trying to distract you. Because he knows, he knows that if you just worship, he knows the power that's in your worship. He's tried to get you distracted, tried to get you off course, tried to silence you with busyness, try to silence you with whatever is going on in your life. get you off course because he knows there's power in your what happens when you worship you you begin to see that those who are with you are greater than those who are with them when you begin to get your eyes on Jesus you begin to see from a heavenly perspective you begin to have a, a heavenly vision a heavenly perspective you begin to see the provision of the Lord you begin to see the blessing of the Lord And so he he wants you to misdirect. He wants you to get sidetracked and distracted so that you operate in fear, that you operate and and don't really step into what God has intended and purpose for your life. So, So Elisha said, don't be afraid. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw doesn't mean that he was blind. You know, there's there's a vision, there's being able to see. I can look around the room and I can see you. I've, I can have vision to see you. So Elisha wasn't praying. Lord, open his eyes that he can have vision that he can see. He could see. He was well aware of what was happening in front of him. Elisha said, "I want him to see what he can't see in front of him." Some of you are real good at seeing what's in the natural in front of you. I, w- I wish somebody would help me this morning. You can see you can see what's in the natural in front of you. But God wants you to see what you can't see. There's something happening behind what you see, but it's what you can't see. You see in the natural. You might see hopelessness. You might see a problem. You might see pain. You might see whatever the dis- that distraction is. But when you can have the eyes of God to see what's behind that, to see what's happening all around you, God is working on your behalf. He's working a miracle on your behalf. If you just begin to lift up your voice, lift up your eyes and worship, God will begin to enable you to see what you can't see. He'll give you dreams in your night. He'll open your eyes to the realities of things unseen. There's an unseen world that's around us right now. The presence of the Lord is here this morning. Jesus is here walking these aisles this morning. He's walking into your home, into your bedroom this morning. He's here. He's with you. And if you, if you can have eyes to see, you'll step into something greater than anything in the natural you can sit this morning for a moment if you can. But in Isaiah 6, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask our worship team just to stay put where they are for a moment. And just help me out this morning if you can. But in in, in Isaiah chapter 6, we find a story that I know that you're familiar with. It's a, it's a story about a man named Isaiah And another man by the name of King Uzziah. Anybody remember King Uzziah? And anybody remember Isaiah? Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. And he prophesied a lot about the coming of Jesus. He had a lot to say. Isaiah chapter 6 is kind of the mark in the Bible where things changed for Isaiah. If you read before Isaiah 6 and then you read after Isaiah 6, the storyline changes a bit. Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord. Isaiah had an encounter that changed him. Let's, let's say it like this. Isaiah had a vision. Isaiah saw something he couldn't see in the natural. Isaiah, I, I'm just going to continue on down this path for a moment because I, I, I just feel like America and the world has got their eyes on the things that we can see. Religious demons get their eyes on things that they can see. Well, that woman preacher, what's she doing laying hands on people? Who does she think she is being a woman pastor getting up there? Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth this morning. All those wonderful religious demons burping out. Why do people fall on the floor? I mean, that's just disgraceful. Pick them up. (laughs) Well, we certainly don't push them. (laughs) They... They fall on the floor because they can't stand up. The presence of the Lord is real simple. And we get our eyes on things in the natural disease, what we have, what we don't have, what's in our bank account, what, what's happening all around us. But there is a vision that God wants you to have of Himself. I said, "There's a vision that God wants you to have of Himself." I said, "There's a vision that God wants you to have of Himself." Do you hear me this morning? We can, we we need to turn off all the distractions and all the things that cause us to operate in fear and uncertainty and, and depression and discouragement. Listen, if it causes you to be anxious and it and it takes away your peace, turn it off. Good preaching, Pastor. I'll keep preaching. If if it causes you to be in fear and anxiety, turn that thing off. Facebook included. <laughs> if it causes you anxiety and fear, if it's not Jesus, get it out of your life. Well, I'm so addicted to it, pastor. I'm so ad- That's the problem. That's the problem people would rather tune now don't write me ugly letters but right now people would rather tune in on virtual church because they're addicted it's easier to show up on a virtual I'm speaking to somebody this morning out in virtual land. It's easy. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has everything to do. I can be anonymous. I don't have to show up and be accountable. I can just tune in, get my dose, and and turn it off. I can tune into what I want, and I can turn it off when I want. If pastor makes me uncomfortable, I can just hit the end and put the phone away. I don't have to be convicted. And I know it's nobody watching us this morning because y'all are spiritual out there. God wants you to have a vision of something greater than you. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Himself. I'm not talking about a self-help message this morning that you need to have a, a vision board and all that, and those things are great. I'm talking about you having a vision of Him, something greater than you. When's the last time you've seen the Lord high and lifted up? Isaiah, I'm going to read it in a moment, but, but Isaiah saw the Lord high. And, when's the last time you saw Jesus? In his splendor and his glory. Not just because somebody told you about it, but because you saw it for yourself. You saw him for yourself. Let's read it Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above, ah, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah that's enough you can just stop right there that's enough I saw the Lord on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple I saw the Lord (laughs) you know you you gotta sometimes you've gotta position yourself to see the Lord Uzziah had to die I'm not gonna spend a lot there but Uzziah had to die Something had to shift. Something in the natural had to shift. Something had to get out of the way. There had to be a change that Isaiah could see the Lord. Sometimes we've got to position ourselves. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up. He had to position himself to see the Lord. There are times where Jesus will show up in your life just because that is who He is. And He sovereignly decides to reveal Himself to you. But a lot of times, He shows up because you've positioned yourself to see Him. Jonathan Edwards said you have to lay yourself in the place of allurement. You've got to get yourself, like like blind Bartimaeus, you've got to get yourself on the side of the road. It doesn't matter how you get there. you just got to get there because Jesus is passing by that day. I, I, I don't know what his agenda is. I don't know what his plan is. I don't know how I ended up here other than my friends brought me here, blind Bartimaeus. But I hear... I hear somebody coming in the distance. I can't see him. I can't see the crowd. I don't know what's happening. But I can hear. There's a sound. And I can hear. There's a sound. I'm not going to stop there. But there, there's a sound and I can hear. And he starts crying out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What they do? Shh, be quiet. Foolish All those religious demons again. They just want to stop. Be quiet. This isn't necessary. Shh, 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 stop. And he's just. Gee, he got the Bible says he got all the louder. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Why? Because he had a vision of somebody greater. He couldn't see in the natural. My God, you may not be able to see the possibility. He couldn't see in the natural, but he had a vision of someone greater than himself. He saw what the naturalized... All those people were around Jesus. They were thronging him. The crowds were following after him. But there was one man in the crowd who saw something that nobody else could see. Maybe there's somebody this morning. Maybe there's somebody... Somebody at Celebration Church this morning or somebody who's watching online who says, I I, I don't know what everybody else sees. I, I don't know what their interpretation of all this is. But I see the Savior. I see the Son of David, the Son of the living God. He's here. He's walked into my room. He's come into my space this morning. He's walked into my space. So I'm going to shout all the more, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, he had a vision. I don't know, maybe somebody this morning has seen him and said, Jesus, I know that you're here. I know that you've taken time for me today. I didn't just come to church to put on my religious game. I came to church. I tuned in this morning to see you, to encounter you, to experience your love, to be transformed by your power, to have your presence overshadow my life. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Isaiah saw the Lord. When you see Him, changes everything. I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was dead, but God wasn't dead. I got great news for you. My God is not dead. He is alive. He is ruling and reigning. He's here this morning. He's walking the aisles this morning. My God is not dead. He's alive. He was alive when the universe was created. When He spoke the worlds into existence, He was alive. He was alive when Times Magazine said He was dead. He's alive when you were, took your first breath. My God, He's alive and He's ruling over your life. My God was alive when they Discovered COVID. He's still alive. He's not dead. First John. Heads of state. Uzziah was heads of state government leaders will die. They'll change. I got good news for you. That might be good news in itself. I don't know. Good news beyond that is God's still alive. And he's using them for his glory. He can use a donkey. That's all I'll say about that. 1 <laughs> John 1. First John 1 says, we saw him. From the Passion Translation. It says, we saw him with our very own eyes. We saw him. John said, we saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. We saw him, we touched him. John said, that we've, we've beheld him, the one, the one who came from the Father, Jesus, the, the risen one, the, the one who who was there at the beginning, The one who was there at the beginning, do you hear me this morning? The one who spoke the worlds into existence, John said we saw him, we beheld him, we touched him with our hands. This life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth, the eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. We've seen him. We've beheld him. Romans 8 says, It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is at the right hand of God. He's making intercession for you and I right now. Our God is alive. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for you in your mess. He's praying for you in your situation. He's praying for your family. He's praying for your life. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for you. The Bible says that he has plans of hope and a future of peace for your life. You know what he's praying? He's praying for the fulfillment of his plans and purposes for your life. What is, what is Jesus right now doing? He is he is remember, he's alive, he's interceding, and he's watching over his word concerning your life. Before you were ever born in your mama's belly, the Bible tells us that God knew you, He knew your name, and He knew every detail about your life. He knows every hair that's on your head. He knows every tear that you've cried. The Bible says that He's bottled every tear. He knows them. He knows you in your secret places. He knows you when you're in your closet, shut away from the world. He knows every detail about you. Why? Because God is alive and He's ruling and interceding and watching over His word and His promises concerning your life. He's seated on the throne. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne. God wasn't up mowing the grass in heaven, He wasn't fixing the broken down Chevy outside of the garage or Ford or whatever. He wasn't off shining his shoes or having Gabriel busy about his ironing his clothes. Or... Heaven was not coming apart at the seams when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. When, when Isaiah saw him seating, sitting on a throne, heaven wasn't reeling and rocking under uncertainty and the chaos of this world. Our God was alive, seated on the throne in perfect peace. Ruling over all things. He was sitting on a throne of his rulership. Our God is an authoritative God. He's ruling over all things. The Bible says that he's ruling the world, the worlds, your life, by the word of his power right now. You might think, think things are in chaos. You're looking at the world spinning and everything that's happening around us. And you, you could look at it, you could turn on the news, and you could see and think, wow, the world's in pandemonium, the world's in chaos. Where's God in all of this? Where's the, where's the order in all of this? He's still seated on his throne, and he's wrapping up his eternal plan of the ages. You see, there is nothing that's happening right now that isn't outside of his plan and his purpose. God was not shocked when Trump took office. God was not shocked when COVID happened. He wasn't shocked when the race riots and everything took place. He was not shocked by George Floyd's death. I might say something that might ruffle your feathers right now, but God knew when George Floyd was going to die. There was a date book in God's agenda. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly the plan and and he's using it for his glory. You may look at it and say it's a mess, but my God looks at it and says, I am working all things for my glory in this. You might not understand it. You might not see it, but I am working right now my eternal plan. You see, we, we got to be careful as a church to say, well, you know, and, and, and get into these Arguments. Uh, Can I I just can I just pause and address this for a moment? We can we can get into all sorts of arguments about about race, about whether things people should be tearing things down or not tearing things down, and what's all the purpose of all this? Does anybody hear me this morning? Uh, Facebook is running rampant. Uh, She friended me, defriended me. He friended, requested me. He dropped me as a friend. All this stuff because of what? Because of what? Yeah, get rid of it. Yeah, that's a good good advice. He says in Galatians chapter 5, I say to you, walk in the spirit. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. In verse 19. Listen to some of this. You, you might recognize some of this. The works of the flesh are evident. You might, you might recognize some of this. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Sound familiar? He said, I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, don't get quiet on me now I'm just trying to get I'm just trying to help you this this that we are told repeatedly in scripture that we are not uh that's not us that's not the church to 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 engage in such things the bible calls it gangrene it's spreading cancer but verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5. But, but, you need a big but right here. Y'all don't go there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You need a big but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow, look at y'all. You know your Bibles. That or you're reading them off the screen really well. This is the life. So when you begin to see Jesus, Isaiah 6, you say, Pastor, how are you going to tie all this together? I'm getting there. Isaiah chapter 6, when you see the Lord high and lifted up, it doesn't give any space. It really doesn't give any room to act any other way but in the fruit of the Spirit. You can't can't step into the throne room of heaven and and be living in the place of his presence and then all of a sudden start creating gossip and and dissensions and strife and hatred. they They can't coexist. Does anybody hear me this morning? Now you can step yourself outside of the throne room. But remember what happened when you were in the throne room in the Old Testament and you walked into that place with sin. What happened? you dead. And that's not just a good thought. It was you were not resuscitated, dead. They buried you out back. So you, so you can't live. The two can't coexist. You can't live in the place of His presence. Anybody hear me this morning? You can't live in the place of His presence and live in dissension and hatred and strife. Those things are going to come to the surface and the Holy Ghost is going to deal with those. The Holy Spirit is going to start speaking to you about those. Say, Pastor, when you preach, I get convicted, I'm challenged. you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I don't like it. But when the presence of God comes and He exposes the things in your heart, it's not to make you mad, it's to transform your life. Let's keep going. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. So he, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And he was high. He was high and lifted up. He wasn't just on any old throne. He was high. He was above every other king, above every other lord, above every other principality, government leader. He was high and lifted up. Isaiah says in Isaiah 46.10 that my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. In Job 42, Job said, I know that you can do all things and not one of your purposes can be thwarted. There's nothing that you set to accomplish that cannot be stopped. You're an all-powerful God. You're an omnipotent God. You're all-powerful. Jeremiah said, "Ah oh, Lord, God is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God in your life. Nothing is too hard for God in our community. Nothing is too hard. He's an all-powerful God. Our God is alive, He's authoritative, and He's all-powerful. He's ruling and reigning with every bit of power necessary. There's, when, when, when God exercises His power, it's not like a battery that when when you plug a battery in and the battery is drained because you've used some of the power. This microphone right now is using battery power and and it's draining those batteries the more power that it uses. But God's not like that battery. He's not even like the Energizer bunny. He's greater than that. When His power is utilized, there is no diminishment on His power. He is always at full. He is always at overflowing capacity. Our God has never stopped. There's nothing that is impossible. If, If... if something were, if God were to somehow diminish every time he exerts, when he breathes, he were to diminish. When he, when he says, be healed, he somehow diminished. Then something would be impossible for him. His power would be waning and something else would be getting greater than him. His power would decrease and situations in life would increase. And and we would have a reason to worry. We would have a reason to have a problem because God, who's sitting on the throne, somehow isn't all powerful anymore. But our God is all-powerful. He's always at His best. He is never diminished. And there is nothing that is impossible. That's why David said, I can look up to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. That's why Paul said in Romans that I know that my helper is interceding for me right now in the middle of my mess. He stepped into the valley with me. And he's, interceding. he's fighting. He's wrestling and laboring with me. Till I get to the other side, yeah. he says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Now, all the ladies in the house are going to know all about trains because they're they're on your, on the wedding dresses, and and the more glamorous of a wedding dress and the more glory of the bride the longer the train and you know you go to a wedding and, and, and you have all these attendants, what are the attendants there for? They're there to make sure that the train stays beautiful and the bride stays beautiful and that her, her, her gown stays spotless and flowers are in the perfect place and all of those wonderful things, right? When Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw his kingly, his kingship train. And it didn't just extend around his throne. It didn't just cover the platform where, where he was seated, where the seraphim flew. It wasn't just there. His train filled. It covered everything. Everything. His train. I don't know what brought you here this morning. But i got to tell you something. The train of His robe is upon you. The train of His glory is filling the temple this morning. You may not be able to see it in the natural. But, but like Elisha, I'm just praying. God, give you eyes to see. Because His... His train, His robe, His glory, His splendor is covering His temple this morning. Oh, <laughs> just, just close your eyes for a moment with me. Just, just, just recognize His glory that's here in this room this morning. Oh God, we recognize. Come on, somebody. Just, just tune in to the vision of heaven this morning. I saw the Lord Isaiah said high, and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. <laughs> it speaks about fullness. His train filling the temple speaks of fullness. Everybody say that. Fullness. Fullness. I love that word. It's the overflow, it's the copiousness, it's the abundance of God. It's the abundance of God. Have you seen His fullness lately? (laughs) Have you tasted of the abundance of our God this morning? His train filling the temple. It, it, It wasn't just a little bit. It was the fullness. It was the saturation. It was the abundance. It was the fullness of God. John said, of His fullness I've received. Of his abundance, of his copiousness, of his overflow, I've received. Are you receiving this morning? Of his abundance, I can receive. Of his fullness, I can drink deeply. Yeah, have a drink this morning of his abundance. Have a drink this morning of the abundance. Have a drink this morning of of his abundance. (laughs) Psalms 36, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the rivers of pleasure. There's a river of delight flowing from the throne of heaven right now. There's a river, it's an abundant river. It's a river of his presence. Come on, just lift your hands with me this morning. Lord, we we just drink in. Right in your home, just take a praise break. Right in your home, just take a moment. Lord, we we just have a drink together. Lord, we have a drink together. Lord, we have a drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have a drink of the rivers of His Delight of his fullness. Isaiah went on to say that the seraphim they were standing there, they're flying there above him. Each had six wings with two. They covered the face, and two, they covered their feet, and they two, they flew. We don't see as a matter of fact, this is the only reference to the seraphim in the scripture in this way. And where do we find them? At the throne? The Bible says that the seraphim we're talking about angels, were so powerful that when they spoke, the foundations of the temple shook. That's some significant angels. I don't, I mean, that's some. But when they were in the presence of the Lord, which the seraphim we know were created to be right here at the throne, they were ministering angels at the throne. This is why they were created. Even in their majesty of these angelic beings, they could not look upon the throne. They had to cover their eyes. Even their feet could not be exposed because of the majesty of God. They had to cover their feet. They worshipped. They worshipped at the throne. They were worshipping. They were admiring the king who sat on the throne. I, 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 I don't even know. In, in, in natural words and and how to describe this the only way that I can describe this for you is to rewind the clock and go back in into scripture into into John chapter 12 Jesus was at his friend's house in Bethany he was, he, he was there at a man named Lazarus's house. Lazarus, remember Lazarus and Jesus were best buds. In John chapter 11, Jesus actually had raised Lazarus from the dead. He had died. He'd gotten sick and died. And Jesus came in John chapter 11 and raised him from the dead. In John chapter 12, we find Jesus staying with Lazarus for the week of Passover. And he's there. Six days before his death, six days before Jesus' death, he's at his friend who who had experienced, by the way, experienced death and resurrection. But I'm just thinking about the stories that could have been told from Lazarus to Jesus to Jesus to Lazarus. I mean, the creator of the world sitting there in his home talking to him about raising him from the dead. I mean, what do you talk about? I mean, you you don't talk about the stock exchange when you've just raised him from the dead. And he just, I mean, come on somebody, you don't... I, my God, when, 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 when you're sitting with the person who just raised you from the dead, you don't spend your time talking about COVID-19 and race (laughs) riots conversation looks a little bit different has anybody been raised from the dead lately has anybody experienced resurrection life for yourself we don't see the apostles sitting around in the new testament complaining about all the current issues and trends hello thou preach (laughs) (laughs) They're not sitting around talking about the latest pastor's conference that they went to. No, why? Because they had experienced resurrection life. When resurrection life flows, conversation changes. Is it, does it mean that we don't need to have conversations? That's not what I'm saying. But, but the, the main subject matter and the reason we have any of those conversations is because there's resurrection life flowing on the inside. Anyway, let me keep going. So they're sitting there, reclining at the table, having dinner. Sounds good to me. As long as it's not Bob Evans. hadn't said that in a while, thought I'd just throw that out there. (laughs) They're sitting there, having dinner, and Mary, the sister of Jesus, her sister of Lazarus, comes into the room. And she breaks open this expensive, probably in today's wages could have cost $30,000. Just a jar of ointment. Can you have got one of those oils? You all know we like our young living oils. We can sell you some if you want. Now this is all this is not an expensive oil. Do you have any expensive ones in there? What's the most expensive one you got in there? which uh, all she's got is thieves that's that is probably the most expensive one in there. These are about forty dollars. Well, oh we got frankincense. We're getting better. That's about seventy. So we're up to we're up to seventy dollars. This is pure frankincense. If you get the, the Bible version of this, that they process it biblically, that process it goes up to like ninety. So we're just we're just talking a little. I just wanted to give you a visual here of what this woman brought thirty thousand dollars in modern. I love Frankincense, and she pours it. She doesn't even, she doesn't even use it in a distinguished way. She's not even sophisticated. She, she's not even sophisticated in how she uses it. I mean, after all, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend thirty thousand dollars on something, you better use it sophisticatedly. I mean, at least act like you've, you're proper, you know? No, she doesn't. Not even close. She comes in, plops herself down right in front of his feet, and begins to pour out $30,000 on his feet, on his nasty, sand-covered, disgusting feet, And those of you who have feet problems know how disgusting this is. (laughs) And it doesn't stop there. She pours it out and then uses her hair. I'm talking about passionate worship. I'm talking about passionate worship. When she saw Jesus, when she saw him, she had a vision of him. She saw him. She saw him. And she couldn't but help admire him. And they called, the Bible says in Isaiah 6, the seraphim called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, 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 day and night, day after day, moment after moment, minute after minute, for all eternity, all these angels say, covering their eyes, covering their feet, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does it mean that God is holy? It's basically saying God is God that he's set apart. There's no one like him. The Bible talks about holy things. Throughout scripture, if you go, there's earthly things that are considered holy or they're set apart to the Lord. There's holy ground, holy assemblies, holy Sabbaths, a holy nation, holy garments, a holy city, holy promises, holy people, lifting up holy hands, reading holy scripture. There's there's throughout the Bible, these Comparisons of things that are set apart, holy, and a comparison. Holy ground, holy assemblies. But here we find God in heaven, and, and the response of the angels is holy, holy, holy. There is no other comparison. There's no comparison made. It's just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness is is his utterly unique, divine, transcendent, pure essence, which in his uniqueness has infinite value. It determines all that he is and does and is determined by no one. His holiness is what he is as God, which no one else ever will be. Call it his majesty, his divinity, his supreme greatness, his value, the pearl of great price. He is holy, holy, holy. Yeah. It says that the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, you can look around right now and in the world, in the earth, and all you can see is trouble and torment, or you can look around and see the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. His glory is the manifestation of his holiness. In Exodus 24, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In Exodus 40, the cloud Covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple like a cloud. In 1 Kings chapter 8, the priest could not stand to minister because the glory of the Lord, the cloud of his glory, had filled the temple. In Luke chapter 2, the angel of the Lord came, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them his glory. Let me wrap up with this thought. When Isaiah saw this in verse five, he said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He skipped down to verse eight. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. When you see Jesus, when you see the King, there's a response that happens. There's a response. It's a response of repentance. Woe is me. I am undone, and I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. It's a lifestyle. Repentance isn't just a one-time occasion where you check the box and say, I prayed a prayer at the altar. I repented. I'm done. I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a continual turning from sin and the depravity of our carnality and turning to God. It's a recognizing on an ongoing basis that I am in need of a Savior every day, every breath. Every day when I walk, I need Him in my life. I can't do this on my own. I need His resurrection power every day flowing in my life. I need His grace every day in my life. I need His mercy. I need His abundance. I need Him. It's a repentance, it's a turning from reliance on yourself and turning and having full, utter dependence upon Him. It's a response of worship. I've seen the King, I've seen the Lord response of repentance and a response of worship and a response of commission. Isaiah didn't just see him and and stay there. He saw the Lord and he took the vision with him. A lot of times we want to just camp out. Like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, we just want to camp out. The glory showed up, let's just stay here. This, this feels good. We got goosebumps, let's just camp out and stay. And although that is, is good, and you need his presence, and you need those moments, they took that moment. It, it wasn't that they left it, they brought that moment with them. That moment in Isaiah's life changed him. Those moments change us and transform us and drive us to tell somebody else about what you've seen. The Lord said, who will go for us? Who will I send? And Isaiah said, send me. You can't see him in his glory and his fullness and sit idly by it demands a response and the response of repentance and worship and telling somebody that our God is alive he's all powerful you can come and adore him you can come and worship at his feet our God is holy and glorious have you seen Jesus today Have you seen in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Have you seen him today?